Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Sometimes you don't even want to admit to yourself. It convicts you of the attitudes or actions that you yourself wanted to deny were really what they were. But yet, truth always calls us to account. But what does truth calling us to account, how does that relate to taking something home tonight that you can use in your life? I'll tell you how it is. When God's word speaks to an attitude or an action that is outside or contradictory to his desire for us, if you are a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ, it convicts you. It convicts you to repent. Repentance is when you and I begin down a road of an attitude or an action that is contradictory to truth. Let's just say as we're followers of Christ, we're walking to, I got to put the cross back up there because I was going to point to this one. Because online they can't see that one up there. That's why we put that one there. So I got to put it back. That reminded me. But as we're walking, as a follower of Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, we turn from the direction we're going to Christ. So imagine the cross is still at the one they can see online. And we turn from the direction we're going 180 degrees. A turn isn't 360 degrees. For those of you who don't know about this, if you do a 360 degree turn, you've turned from the direction you were going. You looked at the Lord, waved, turned around, and went back the other the same way you came. So don't say I did a 360 degree turn or you've gone nowhere fast. You did a 180 degree turn, which is directly, if you're headed south, you turned and now you're headed north. Amen? Everybody here, I pray, has done a 180 degree turn. But when the enemy tempts, temptation's fine. Temptation's not the issue. Don't entertain it. But if you are tempted, Scripture talks about some elements of what a believer needs to do, and that's to maintain and continue to live in the shalom, the peace of God. We have to flee. What is fleeing? I'll tell you what it is. Does anybody watch the show Cops anymore here? Remember it was in the 80s? What you going to do when they come for you? Everybody knows that, right? We'll have to play it one Sunday, so you'll know. Okay. What fleeing is, is what happens when the policeman says, stop, and they don't stop. And they start to run at high speed. That is fleeing. Now imagine the policeman is sin, just for argument's sake here. What you, that person's doing is what you and I should do when you and I are tempted with sin. How fast and how far do you run? You run until the threat is gone. The ones that get away, they don't let up. They keep going, don't they? By the way, sin is a good runner. So you better run. And you better also do what Scripture talks about in delighting yourself in the Lord. And also what it talks about is praying without ceasing because after you are running from temptation you have to take the ground captive that you allowed 
the temptation to take root in in the first place. By the way, there was a lot of compromise that went into the temptation in and of itself. If you or I had been praying without ceasing and not even allowing ourselves to entertain the thoughts in the first place, the temptation wouldn't even have had an avenue with which to tempt. Amen? And the attempted overthrow of your shalom would not have occurred. You ever thought of that? When you maintain the shalom, the peace of God, and the attitude of oneness and dwelling in God's presence perpetually, when you do not allow a squatter spiritually to squat and begin to take root in squatting in your brain and take the mental power of that, and when you don't reside and walk into avenues and areas that you never should have in the first place, you don't end up in a mess when you maintain staying around people, when you stay in groups and don't get isolated and, and buy into the lie of, I'm a loner, I don't need people. You just keep saying that to yourself because the only one you'll convince is yourself. By the way, what did I just tell you? God himself is relational and you think his creation wouldn't be relational to the nth degree? God created all of us relational. That might be something that you desire is to be isolated and alienated because you are a don't function like that and you need your alone. You better be really careful because I can assure you, take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. You might not like it in the beginning, surrounding yourself with accountability and people all the time, but you will get very used to it. It's a very good thing to have because temptation battling that the older you get especially, it, it's arduous, isn't it? It's exhausting. Anybody else believe it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? So what you need to do is put yourself in arenas and build ramparts, walls of protection and barriers that will prevent the attack on your shalom, your peace. Because the enemy is dead set and hell-bent on trying to do everything to remove that peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts in Christ. He can't stand when we live in the peace of God because we become the man of God and the woman of God that God desired us to be and we walk in the fullness of God in that shalom, that peace of God. So therefore tonight, do you have that shalom? That's a question in of itself. If you don't, we need to talk. Don't let today close before you deal with that issue because it is much too important of an issue not to deal with. I spoke with someone today who a number of months ago, they don't go here, no way could figure out who it is, but they had texted me because they were supporting someone who was going on a trip overseas to Israel. And they had forwarded the support link for someone who was going there. And someone who was a friend of theirs had married someone who was a Muslim. And they got very angry and very, very, very forcefully angry that they had shared that link from their missionary friend who was going on this trip to Israel. And they reached out to me and just said, I don't know what to do. This friend of mine, he's been such a good friend that it realized this, this has created this anti-Christian sentiment and they were just distraught. And I said, you know, first of all, you have nothing to apologize for. You can't apologize for truth. You have nothing to be ashamed of. What are you supposed to do? Say, oh, I'm sorry I aligned myself with the Zionist regime. Um, let's apologize that you decided to be a follower of Christ at the same time. You can't do that, right? 
So I just shared, I said, you know, you just need to stand firm and say, you know, we have to agree to disagree. You may not uh, like who I am as a Christian, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. And so this, again, a number of months ago, I hadn't thought much more about it, but they texted me today. And uh, the spouse, the, the husband of this person, uh, had a massive stroke and died. And they said this person came to them weeping and crying and saying, you know, uh, I just, you need to tell me that everything's going to be okay. The person says this to them, and they're like, I don't know what to say. I said, well, first of all, you can't tell them it's going to be okay because apart from you placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it won't be okay. But you cannot uh, tender foot around it. This might not be the, the day to have that conversation, but don't lie. You better be true to the scripture and true to the gospel and true to the shalom of God. Because brothers and sisters, don't lie because you're scared somebody's going to get offended. Don't you dare. Don't you dare give someone a false hope in an arena like that. It's so easy right? Because your friend is sitting next to you who you know is steeped in compromise. And as they cry and weep on your shoulder and say, please tell me it's going to be okay. What is the redneck country? Just going to be, I'm going to call it what it is. What is the redneck country response? Oh baby, it's going to be okay. You just hang in there. You just lie to them. You just bold face lied because you don't have a spine. What do you mean I don't have a spine? If you had a spine, you would have not said one word and you'd have patted them on the shoulder and not said one word because you are not going to lie to them. Because you know in your heart of hearts, if you're a lover of God and a lover of truth, that it's not going to be okay, but this is not the moment, not the time, not the arena. You'll deal with that in the proper time and order. But see, we have a tendency, because of the southern love and goodness we have, to lie to people. Because, you know, we just don't want to call it what it is. Well, that's John the Baptist coming in and said, Hey, y'all, um, we got to have a conversation because things may not work out real good if, if we're not careful. That's what we do when we don't have a backbone. And remember what I'm, my analogy there is when John the Baptist comes and says, repent or you will perish. Repent or you will go to hell. That's what it would be the equivalent of in that. See, the peace of God cannot rest on someone who is at enmity or in violation of the holiness of God in every man, woman, and child who has ever been born is at enmity with God in sin, my parents conceived me. Does not Scripture say that? Due to the fact that we have all in here, and if not, let me know, every one of us in here has obtained our Father's DNA, and unless you can stand up and object, all of us are born at enmity with God, at war with God. And the whole entire picture of right now what we're studying Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant, the New Covenant in Jesus Christ, substituting the priesthood, he became the eternal high priest to what? Restore fellowship with us who are at war, at enmity with God, to restore the shalom 
of God with man. So apart from that transaction, because it's much like a transaction that occurs, we recognize, you go to a store, oh, I'm out of whatever it is that you need. Okay, I go to the store with what? A list. You know what you need. You go to the store. You get what you need. You take it up to the cashier, and there's a transaction that occurs. Salvation is much like it. You come to the understanding by the way, no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit, some versions say enable, some versions say draw. The Holy Spirit has to give us the understanding because Ephesians is clear and says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What can dead spiritually people do? Nothing spiritual. So until the Spirit of God opens our hearts like he did to me in September of 2004, a person who is spiritually dead can do nothing. So what God does is open those hearts and then you, in a sense, walk up to the spiritual counter and the transaction occurs. You know the need then. The question is, are you going to buy? In other words, we can't pay for it. It's been paid for. Jesus paid. Are we going to engage in the transaction? Confessing our sin, placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, turning 180 degrees from the life that we're going, bearing, dying to Christ, dying to self, dying in Christ, being raised to walk in the newness of Christ. That's what this baptism symbolizes. You know this? That baptism doesn't save you. Don't let anybody ever tell you that. It's a lie straight from hell. Baptism doesn't save you. And if anybody tells you that, sit down and have a very hard conversation with them because if the waters of baptism save, Jesus died in vain. I want you to understand that that's truth. There is a lie been propagated all over in good, well-meaning people that the baptism saves you. It doesn't. It's a lie. It is a lie. It's an affront to the placing of faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, church. And we've got to be honest about these things and stop tenderfooting around it because we don't want somebody to get upset. I want you to understand something. You imagine the offense in the presence of God when someone that professed to be a follower of Christ didn't have the backbone to share with someone. Wait a minute. Salvation is not through the water of baptism. That is merely the external expression of what has happened in the heart the transaction that brought shalom with God, peace with God. That is the statement to the world. Baptism is, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is what baptism is, church. So as I've asked before, people who believe that, I've said, hey, if, if somebody decides one Sunday that they want to be a Christian and the next Sunday is the day that they're going to get baptized. What would happen if they were to die in a car accident during that week? You know what some of the responses have been? I don't see how they could go to heaven. Do you realize what that says? What is that saying? Jesus and the all-sufficiency 
to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you shall be saved. This water no more saves you than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. As a dear singer that I love so much, she's gone to be with the Lord, used to say in one of his songs, the waters of baptism only scream to the world the transaction that has already occurred. So please understand that. I'm not even any way minimizing baptism. I believe it's sinful not to be baptized. If you're here and you have professed faith in Jesus Christ and you have not followed in believer's baptism, you are in rebellion before God and that is as the sin of witchcraft, God's word says, I will stand toe to toe with you and go face to face with you. That is the truth. So if you profess faith in Jesus Christ tonight, you have followed in complete submission to his will, I argue with you, you are in rebellion to him tonight because the scripture says, repent and be baptized. So I would ask you to give me an excuse on how you can sidestep what God's word commands us to do. He also says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you when you come into my father's kingdom. I can't see many reasons with which you would not be able to be baptized unless you are nervous, scared, or embarrassed. Because listen, you got a wound that needs covered, you're looking at the man who can cover it. You're looking at the person who can keep you dry during that time, amen? We can have all of these reasons why we don't want to do what God commands, but it's the same thing as Hebrews 10, 25. Don't forsake the assembling as some are in the manner of doing. So we can either sit around and we can argue our disobedience. Remember the best arguments we have with ourselves on why we aren't doing what we should do. Or maybe you can just realize, wait a minute, I'm finding reasons to be disobedient. I've got an issue of the heart right now that I need to deal with. I've got an issue of shalom with God. The shalom of God is a gift from him the shalom with God is a gift to him the peace with God because we are not bringing up something that brings enmity or closes the wall of communication with him do you get this the shalom of God that he gives us is the peace of God that in salvation he gives us the peace that we have with him we have control over you get it because when you and I defy what he's commanded us to do, we remove the peace of God that we have with him. And we are the ones responsible for that. At salvation, that gift is controlled by him. The continuation of that peace with God is controlled by us in our desire to conform in his likeness, to be obedient, and submit to his person, purpose, desire, will, and plan for our life. Do you have the shalom of God tonight? And then second, is the second part of that verse, verse 27. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. See, if God doesn't give us the world gives, do not let your heart be troubled or or fearful. Second and final thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Tonight, are you troubled or are you fearful? We talked about this morning how 
God is not a God of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Are you troubled? Now, I understand if you have a prodigal that you're troubled about. You're troubled about a work situation or a home situation, or you're troubled in how to handle something with someone because you love them and you want to be true to the Scripture, but also, you know this? You can be true to the Scripture, but also sensitive to people. God has gifted me with that. Some of you might say, ooh, Brother Jonathan, I... Preaching is a whole different ballgame, but when I sit down with you, if there's an issue, I actually, God has gifted me. My father's actually said, I wish I had the gift that you have of being able to say when something needs to be said and you are required to do it, because my dad is one that doesn't like to have any kind of turmoil or confrontation with people, so he struggled with that more, so he did it. I know my dad very well, but there is a way to be true to scripture, but also sensitive to not harming someone directly or indirectly. We have to be careful with that because if you're troubled tonight, it's okay to be troubled. It is not an issue if tonight you are troubled about something, you love someone, you care about them, you don't want to hurt their feelings, you don't want to harm. A normal human being doesn't want to harm somebody, do they? If you would say, I don't care, then I would say you've got a heart issue. Because if you don't care about hurting someone that is your brother or sister that you love, then you've got a spiritual issue that you better pray about. Now, if they go, you know what, I just don't believe that, that uh, salvation stuff, and uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I just don't buy into it, and we're going to have a conversation because you invite me into it, I will not care about the feelings ultimately that you have when you reject the gift of salvation or the way that God's word says it has to be done. I can't apologize for that. Because to apologize for that is to apologize for the truth, for the gospel. And I, or you, we can't do that. It's something that we cannot change. The gospel is the gospel. Truth is truth. It's rooted in the person and work of Christ and the character and nature of God. Therefore, to do anything other than be true to absolute truth is to withhold the path for shalom, for peace with God. Because there is no other way. There is only one gate. There is only one doorway. Anybody remember when my dad preached the sermon? I still remember it. I still hear him preaching it. Anybody remember? My dad preached on the cheap pen. Anybody remember? You or you? Remember he talked about the ones that climb over? Ones that try to go in different ways? My sheep know me and they know my voice. It's interesting, though, how the world is so trying to compel us to offer them another way. Sadly, a nationally syndicated pastor, I'll never forget it, got on Larry King many years ago now. And Larry King was direct with him and said, Sir, do you, I'm not saying the person's name, but said, Do you believe that through Jesus is the only gateway to the heaven, to the Father, to what you guys are talking about. And I'll never forget, sadly, this man did not have 
enough moral fiber or maybe enough spiritual wisdom and knowledge to be able to stand and unequivocally say, Larry, truth is truth. I don't decide what it is, but the gospel truth says there is no way under heaven by which a man must be saved. There is but one, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the gateway. He is the gatekeeper. He is the good shepherd. He is the I, singular, am, everything. There is no other way. His appealing is the Baha'i faith. They know about the Baha'i faith? In Iran, it originated in Persia. The Baha'i faith, the buildings are round and there's many doors. In the center, there is a light, and in the center, you have a light. And what the Baha'i faith signifies is all roads lead to the light. In their sense, in a sense, there are e pluribus unum. Many, one, no. There is but one, one, eternal high priest. That one eternal high priest had the exclusivity in the doorway to heaven because he lacked the Father's, earthly Father's DNA. That is what is so substantial in the understanding of it is because that is where the ability to redeem mankind was rooted in the perfection that could never have occurred with an earthly father. And every other religion has a founder or their so-called shepherd or whatever you want to call it, but every one of those was born, not any other one, was not only able to conquer hell and death, but they had an earthly father's DNA. Therefore, no ability to bring shalom, no ability to pay the price. And it's actually very interesting when you think about with Adam in the garden, all falls back on Adam, right? He was responsible for her. So in Adam, we're all made sinners. And you think about that because sometimes you go, wait a minute, you got this Jesus guy and he paid for all that come and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's kind of, I don't know, there's all those people, right? Same way that the sin of Adam in him were all made sinners. In Christ, we're all made righteous. All were brought shalom, peace of God, through the gift of God, through the power of God. So tonight, are you troubled? Are you fearful? I understand if you're troubled about the things with those you love, you care about them, you want the best for them. But if you're troubled because you do not possess the shalom, I want to encourage you tonight, if the Spirit of God has opened your heart to the fact that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, recognize that the peace of God, the shalom of God, is that gift of God that God desires to give you tonight. It only happens when you recognize and you understand that you are at enmity, you are at war with God because of sin. 
But tonight, God's desire is to cleanse you, to save you, to give you what we could never obtain on our own. And that is the free gift of salvation by grace and through faith. You don't have to bicycle for two years. You don't have to go and do this and do that and check and check and check and check and check. In the what? Hope. The possibility for some potential promise. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for God, your word, Lord, the encouragement of it, the comfort of it, the conviction of it, Father, and all that your word does. Thank you, Father, that not only do you convict, that you bring us to that place where we see what's not right and where we need to be, but God, you so lovingly give us your shalom, your peace, Father, as we walk in the purpose, the plan, the path, as we confess our sin, as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you give us the comfort, O Lord. You fill us with your power, your presence, and you overwhelm us with the peace that passes all understanding. Father, tonight, Lord, I pray that you would reaffirm that in the lives of each and every one hearing this. And God, if there's one here that does not know you, they do not have that peace, they do not know that beauty of walking with you, that relational existence, God, that you have called us to. Father, I pray tonight would be the night that they've placed their faith and trust in you, repent of their sin, ask you to be their Savior and the Lord of their life, and that they would follow in believers' baptism as they shout to the world what you have done internally. They will show the world externally. Father, thank you so much for your mercy, your grace, your love. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. Thank you for that ability we have to be at peace with you tonight. I pray that we will live in that state and run and flee from the lies of the enemy that desire nothing more than to steal that peace that you have given us. Go with us now into our mission fields. May you alone be glorified in everything we say and do. And we ask this in Jesus' precious, holy, and righteous name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.